Section 43 of The History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio. InterfaceAudio.com. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson. Volume 2, Chapter 2. On the Progress of Philosophical Chemistry in Sweden. Part 5. 3. Scheele's experiments on manganese were undertaken at the request of Bergman, and occupied him three years. They were published in the Memoirs of the Stockholm Academy for 1774, and constitute the most memorable and important of all his essays, since they continued the discovery of two new bodies, which have since acted so conspicuous a part both in promoting the progress of the science and in improving the manufactures of europe these two substances are chlorine and barite the first account of both of which occur in this paper the ore of manganese employed in these experiments was the black oxide or deutoxide of manganese as it is now called seal's method of proceeding was to try the effect of all the different reagents on it it dissolved in sulphurous and nitrous acids, and the solution was colorless. Dilute sulfuric acid did not act upon it, nor nitric acid, but concentrated sulfuric acid dissolved it by the assistance of heat. The solution of sulfate of manganese in water was colorless and crystallized in very oblique rhomboidal prisms, having a bitter taste muriatic acid effervesced with it when assisted by heat and the elastic fluid that passed off had a yellowish color and the smell of aqua regia he collected quantities of this elastic fluid chlorine in bladders and determined some of its most remarkable properties it destroyed colors and tinged the bladder yellow as nitric acid does this elastic fluid in shield's opinion was muriatic acid deprived of phlogiston by phlogiston Scheele meant, in this place, hydrogen gas. He considered muriatic acid as a compound of chlorine and hydrogen. Now this is the very theory that was established by Davy in consequence of his own experiments, and those of Gay-Lussac and Thenard. Scheele's mode of collecting chlorine gas in a bladder did not enable him to determine its characters with so much precision as was afterwards done but his accuracy was so great that everything which he stated respecting it was correct so far as it went most of the specimens of manganese ore which scheele examined contained more or less barite as has since been determined in combination with the oxide he separated these barites and determined its peculiar properties it dissolved in nitric and muriatic acids and formed salts capable of crystallizing and permanent in the air neither potash soda nor lime nor any base whatever was capable of precipitating it from these acids but the alkaline carbonates threw it down in the state of a white powder which dissolved with effervescence in acids sulfuric acids and all the sulfates threw it down in the state of a white powder which was insoluble in water and in acids this sulfate cannot be decomposed by any acid or base whatever the only practicable mode of proceeding is to convert the sulfuric acid into sulfur by heating the salt with charcoal powder, along with a sufficient quantity of potash, to bring the whole into fusion. 
The fused mass, edulcorated, is soluble in nitric or muriatic acid, and thus may be freed from charcoal, and the barites obtained in a state of purity. Scheele detected barites also in the potash made from trees or other smaller vegetables, but at that time he was unacquainted with sulfate of barites, which is so common in various parts of the earth, especially in lead mines. To point out all the new facts contained in this admirable essay, it would be necessary to transcribe the whole of it. He shows the remarkable analogy between manganese and metallic oxides. Bergman, in an appendix affixed to Scheele's paper, states his reasons for being satisfied that it is really a metallic oxide. Some years afterwards, Assessor Gahn succeeded in reducing it to the metallic state, and thus dissipating all remaining doubts on the subject. 4. In 1775, he gave a new method of obtaining benzoic acid from benzoine. His method was to digest the benzoine with pounded chalk and water, till the whole of the acid had combined with lime and dissolved in the water. It is requisite to take care to prevent the benzoine from running into clots. The liquid, thus containing benzoate of lime in solution, is filtered, and muriatic acid added in sufficient quantity to saturate the lime. The benzoic acid is separated in white flocks, which may be easily collected and washed. This method, though sufficiently easy, is not followed by practical chemists, at least in this country. The acid, when procured by precipitation, is not so beautiful as what is procured by sublimation, nor is the process so cheap or so rapid. For these reasons, Scheele's process has not come into general use. 5. During the same year, 1775, his essay on arsenic and its acid was also published in the memoirs of the Stockholm Academy. In this essay, he shows various processes by means of which white arsenic may be converted into an acid, having a very sour taste and very soluble in water. This is the acid to which the name of arsenic acid has been since given. Scheele describes the properties of this acid and the salts which it forms with the different bases. He examines also the action of white arsenic upon different bodies and throws light upon the arsenical salt of Makur. 6. The object of the little paper on silica clay and alum, published in the memoirs of the Stockholm Academy for 1776, is to prove that alumina and silica are two perfectly distinct bodies, possessed of different properties. This he does with his usual felicity of experiment. He shows also that alumina and lime are capable of combining together. 7. The same year, and in the same volume of the Stockholm Memoirs, he published his experiments on a urinary calculus. The calculus upon which his experiments were made happened to be composed of uric acid. He determined the properties of this new acid, particularly the characteristic one of dissolving in nitric acid, and leaving a beautiful pink sediment when the solution is gently evaporated to dryness. 8. In 1778 appeared his experiments on molybdena. What is now called molybdena is a soft foliated material, having the metallic luster and composed of two atoms sulfur united to one atom of metallic molybdenum. It was known before from the experiments of Quest that this substance contains sulfur.
Scheele extracted from it a white powder, which he showed to possess acid properties, though it was insoluble in water. He examined the characters of this acid, called molybdic acid, and the nature of the salts which it is capable of forming by uniting with bases. 9. In the year 1777 was published the experiments of Scheele on air and fire, with an introduction by the way of preface from Bergman, who seems to have superintended the publication. This work is undoubtedly the most extraordinary production that Scheele has left us and is really wonderful if we consider the circumstances under which it was produced. Scheele ascertained that common air is a mixture of two distinct elastic fluids, one of which alone is capable of supporting combustion, and which, therefore, he calls imperial air, the other being neither capable of maintaining combustion nor of being breathed, he called foul air. These are the oxygen and azote of modern chemists. Oxygen he showed to be heavier than common air, bodies burnt in it with much greater splendor than in common air. Azote he found lighter than common air, bodies would not burn in it at all. He showed that metallic calces, or metallic oxides as they are now called, contain oxygen as a constituent, and that when they are reduced to the metallic state, oxygen gas is disengaged. In his experiments on fulminating gold, he shows that during the fulmination a quantity of azotic gas is disengaged, and he deduces from a great many curious facts, which are stated at length, that ammonia is a compound of azote and hydrogen. His apparatus was not nice enough to enable him to determine the proportions of the various ingredients of the bodies which he analyzed. Accordingly, that is seldom attempted and when it is, as was the case with common air, the results are very unsatisfactory. He deduces from his experiments that the volume of oxygen gas in common air is between a third and a fourth. We now know that it is exactly a fifth. In this book also we have the first account of sulfuretted hydrogen gas and of its properties. He gives it the name of stinking sulfurous air. The observations and new views respecting heat and light in this work are so numerous that I am obliged to omit them, nor do I think it necessary to advert his theory, which, when his book was published, was exceedingly plausible and undoubtedly constituted a great step towards the improvements which soon after followed. His own experiments, had he attended a little more closely to the weights and the alterations of them, would have been sufficient to have overturned the whole doctrine of phlogiston. Upon the whole it may be said, with confidence, that there is no chemical book in existence which contains a greater number of new and important facts than this work of Scheele at the time it was published. Yet most of his discoveries were made also by others. Priestley and Lavoisier, from the superiority of their situations and their greater means of making their labors speedily known to the public, derived him of much of that reputation to which in common circumstances he would have been entitled priestley has been blamed for the rapidity of his publications and the crude manner in which he ushered his discoveries to the world but had he kept them by him till he had brought them to a sufficient degree of maturity it is obvious that he would have been anticipated in the most important of them by scheele ten in the memoirs of the Stockholm Academy for 1779, 
there is a short but curious paper of Scheele giving an account of some of the results which he had obtained. If a plate of iron be moistened by a solution of common salt or of sulphate of soda and left for some weeks in a moist cellar, an afflorescence of carbonate of soda covers the surface of the plate. The same decomposition of common salt and evolution of soda takes place when unslacked quicklime is moistened with a solution of common salt and left in a similar situation. These experiments led afterwards to various methods of decomposing common salt and obtaining from it carbonate of soda. The phenomena themselves are still wrapped up in considerable obscurity. Berthollet attempted an explanation afterwards in his chemical statics, but found it on principles not easily admissible. 11. During the same year, his experiments on plumbago were published. This substance had been long employed for making black lead pencils, but nothing was known concerning its nature. Scheele, with his usual perseverance, tried the effect of all the different regents, and showed that it consisted chiefly of carbon, but was mixed with a certain quantity of iron. It was concluded from these experiments that plumbago is a carburet of iron, but the quantity of iron differs so enormously in different specimens that this opinion cannot be admitted. Sometimes the iron amounts to only one-half percent, and sometimes to thirty percent. Plumbargo, then, is a carbon mixed with a variable proportion of iron, or carburet of iron. 12. In 1780, Scheele published his experiments on milk, and showed that sour milk contains a peculiar acid, to which the name of lactic acid has been given. He found that when sugar of milk is dissolved in nitric acid, and the solution allowed to cool, small crystalline grains were deposited. These grains have an acid taste, and combine with bases. They have peculiar properties, and therefore constitute a particular acid to which the name of cyclactic was given. It is formed also when gum is dissolved in nitric acid. On this account it has been called mucic acid. 13. In 1781, his experiments on a heavy mineral called by the Swedes tungsten were published. This substance had been much noticed on account of its great weight, but nothing was known respecting its nature. Scheele, with his usual skill and perseverance, succeeded in proving that it was a compound of lime and a peculiar acid, to which the name of tungstic acid was given. Tungsten was, therefore, a tungstate of lime. Bergman, from its great weight, suspected that tungstic acid was in reality the oxide of a metal, and this conjecture was afterwards confirmed by the Alliards, who extracted the same acid from Wolfram, and succeeded in reducing it to the metallic state. 14. In 1782 and 1783 appeared his experiments on Prussian blue, in order to discover the nature of the coloring matter. These experiments were exceedingly numerous and display uncommon ingenuity and sagacity. He succeeded in demonstrating that prussic acid, the name at that time given to the coloring principle, was a compound of carbon and azote. He pointed out a process for obtaining prussic acid in a separate state, and then determined its properties. This paper threw at once a ray of light on one of the obscurest parts of chemistry. 
If he did not succeed in elucidating this difficult department completely, the fault must not be ascribed to him, but to the state of chemistry when his experiments were made. In fact, it would have been impossible to have gone further till the nature of the different elastic fluids at that time, under investigation, had been thoroughly established. Perhaps in 1783 there was scarcely any other individual who could have carried out this very difficult investigation, so far as it was carried by Scheele. 15. In 1783 appeared his observations on the sweet principle of oils. He observed that when olive oil and lethargy are combined together, a sweet substance separates from the oil and floats on the surface. This substance, when treated with nitric acid, yields oxalic acid. It was therefore closely connected with sugar in its nature. He obtained the same sweet matter from linseed oil, oil of almonds, of rapeseed, from hog's lard, and from butter. He therefore concluded that it was a principle contained in all the expressed or fixed oils. 16. In 1784, he pointed out a method by which citric acid may be obtained in a state of purity from lemon juice. He likewise determined its characters, and showed that it was entitled to rank as a peculiar acid. It was during the same year that he observed a white earthy matter which may be obtained by washing rhubarb in fine powder with a sufficient quantity of water. This earthly matter he decomposed and ascertained that it was a neutral salt, composed of oxalic acid combined with lime. In a subsequent paper, he showed that the same oxalic of lime exists in a great number of roots of various plants. 17. In 1786, he showed that apples contain a peculiar acid, the properties of which he determined and to which the name of malic acid has been given. In the same paper, he examined all the common acid fruits of this country, gooseberries, currants, cherries, bilberries, etc., and determined the peculiar acids which they contain. Some owe their acidity to malic acid some to citric acid, and some to tartaric acid, and not a few hold two or even three of these acids at the same time. The same year he showed that the ciderum of Bergman was phosphuret of iron, and the acidum perlatum of Proust biphosphate of soda. The only other publications of Scheele during 1785 was a short notice respecting a new mode of preparing magnesia alba, if sulphate of magnesia and common salt, both in solution, be mixed in the requisite proportions, a double decomposition takes place, and there will be formed sulphate of soda and muriate of magnesia. The greatest part of the former salt may be obtained out of the mixed lay by crystallization, and then the magnesia alba may be thrown down from the muriate of magnesia by means of an alkaline carbonate. The advantage of this new process is the procuring of a considerable quantity of sulfate of soda in exchange for a common salt, which is a much cheaper substance. 18. The last paper which Scheele published appeared in the Memoirs of the Stockholm Academy for 1786. In it he gave an account of the characters of gallic acid and the method of obtaining that acid from nutgalls. Such is an imperfect sketch of the principal discoveries of Scheele. 
I have left out of view his controversial papers, which have now lost their interest, and a few others of minor importance that this notice might not be extended beyond its due length. It will be seen that Scheele extended greatly the number of acids. Indeed, he more than doubled the number of these bodies known when he began his chemical labors. The following acids were discovered by him, or at least it was he that first accurately pointed out their characters. Fluoric acid, molybdic acid, tungstic acid, arsenic acid, lactic acid, gallic acid, tartaric acid, oxalic acid, citric acid, malic acid, cyclactic, chlorine. To him also we owe the first knowledge of barites and of the characters of manganese. He determined the nature of the constituents of ammonia and prussic acid. He first determined the compound nature of common air and the properties of the two elastic fluids of which it is composed. What other chemist, either a contemporary or predecessor of Scheele, can be brought in competition with him as a discoverer? And all was performed under the most unpropitious circumstances and during the continuance of a very short life for he died in the 44th year of his age. End of section 43 of The History of Chemistry. Recording by Lawrence Trask. Interfaceaudio.com.